welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's jump into Daniel chapter 3. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been uh, in the book of Daniel um, looking at how Daniel was able to do what uh, so many of us are, uh, find so difficult. Daniel was thrust into an ungodly culture, and yet, at the same time, he didn't become like the culture that he was living in. So that alone is pretty awesome, to be able to step into an ungodly culture and yet not compromise. There's another C. I think C's are going to be all over the place today. Uh, there's no compromise in Daniel. He holds fast uh, to the word of his God. He holds fast to the beliefs that he was raised with. He's not compromising, but yet at the same time, he's not, uh, he's not uh, raising a stink. He's not uh, judging people. He's not living in self-righteousness. Uh, he's able to step into an ungodly culture and yet have influence over that ungodly culture. Instead of the ungodly cult- culture influencing him, he influences it. And so that's what we've been preaching about for the past few weeks is how can we do that? And so we've been looking at various uh, battle lines that culture will draw. Uh, culture is not the enemy, but the enemy does use culture to pull us away from who God created us to be. And, and it will challenge us, culture will challenge us in, in, a, in a few ways. Uh, one way, uh, which I talked about a few weeks ago, is with regard to our identity. Uh, culture will challenge us with regard to our identity. It will try to label us based on our skin color, based on our past, based on our present, uh, based on our socioeconomic status, based on who we voted for. Come on, somebody. Culture will try to label you, whether you're, based on whether you're vaxxed or not vaxxed. Uh, culture will try to label you, and, 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 we, and we must resist the labels that culture has put on us and instead accept the identity that God has said that, that we are. And so if you were with us, I don't know if you joined us uh, in person or online Wednesday night, man, we had a great prayer meeting, praying into that. I appreciate Michelle bringing some cards, and various people came up and took those cards with scripture on them, really just stating who God says that we are. And so um, we, want, we want that to get into your spirit, and we want you to be um, confident in who God says that you are uh, and reject the labels that culture has put on you. But uh, that's, that's one battle line. It's the battle for your identity. And uh, let me tell you, culture is fighting for your identity. Culture is fighting to tell you who you are. Uh, the second battle, um, which we talked about last week, would be the battle for our... Um, uh, Let's see, how do, I, how do I say this? It would be the battle for... My brain, my brain just completely... I was thinking about something else. <laughs> you know, my brain was completely, completely blank. Because um, last week, we preached on our beliefs. And it was the battle for the beliefs. And, and this is another area that culture will try to assault our beliefs. To give us a new view, a new way of looking at reality. New way of looking at the world, a new way of looking at God and determining whether or not God is doing a good job. Uh, and so even last week, it, I, I, found it, I found it weird as, as a preacher, as I was preaching through some what I consider basic beliefs. Uh, it got kind of quiet up in here. Um, because it's, it, to, to me, that's just a reflection of how deeply culture has assaulted 
just basic Christian beliefs. Things that are throughout the Bible, not just one special verse that I dug around for and found in the back of Zephaniah. Uh, we're talking multiple principles, basic principles regarding the sanctity of life, the, the, regarding marriage, regarding parents, regarding children, regarding finances. And so uh, if you want to hear more about that, listen to last week's podcast. It's on Spotify, by the way. It's on Spotify. It's, it, it, Blake makes sure of that. And um, yeah, so, so the, but, but culture will create a battle line around our beliefs. So there'll be a battle for your, um, for, for, for your identity and a battle for your beliefs. And today I want to talk about the battle for your worship. Culture will create a, a, a battle line. It'll draw a battle line in the area of your worship. And uh, we see this in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. King Nebuchadnezzar says, made an image of gold. And I'm just going to start, I'm just going to read the beginning of the story. How many of you have heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Anybody ever heard that before? Okay. Jackie, you've never heard the story of, okay, all right. Didn't mean to call you out, I was just surprised. <laughs> I guess I haven't preached on it much, so that, that, that makes sense. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. All right, so this is how the story starts. I don't know if we're going to get to the end of the story, but this is how it starts. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. An image of gold. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Can you imagine what that must have been like? With the, all of those people, the satraps, the governors, the, all of, I, from all of the provinces of Babylon, which was all of the known world at the time, Babylon had conquered all the known world at the time, they all come, all the important people, all the celebrities, all the A-list and B-list and C-list, they're all there and they stand before a 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide image of pure gold. Now, uh, we don't know what the image was of. If it would have been of one of the pagan gods, they probably would have mentioned it in the text. Some people think it was an image actually of Nebuchadnezzar, like he made an image of himself. Of course, nine feet by 90 feet would be a weird proportion for a, a human, so that's kind of odd. I don't know how that works. It may have just been a massive pillar of gold. I mean, to stand before something nearly 100 feet tall and 9 feet wide of gold shining in the sun would have been pretty impressive. And everybody stands before it at the end of verse 3. This is just phenomenal. And this is, this is the reason, okay, this is why Nebuchadnezzar is doing this. Nebuchadnezzar is not actually by birth a Babylonian. Nebuchadnezzar is a part of the kingdom which they refer to as the Neo-Babylonians. In other words, he was actually a Chaldean whose father had sort of t uh, ascended the throne, had taken it from the, 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 the actual Babylonians, and he was now trying to unify an empire. And so the way he's doing this is by showing his power, showing his strength, showing his gold, showing, showing this massive image which he has built. How in the world with their tools did you even build something that tall and that big out of gold? I don't know. But, but anyway, this would have been 
incredibly impressive. Duran, the place of Duran is, it's hard to tell where that is, only that it's a plain somewhere. So it's a large, flat area. And then in the shining Middle Eastern sun is this massive 90 foot tall, nine foot wide image of pure gold. Uh, and they all stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever, he says in verse 6, does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, if you read the rest of the story, you see that everybody pretty much immediately obeys, right? Because on the one hand, they're overcome by the magnificence of this structure and the apparent success of King Nebuchadnezzar, and not to mention the fact that you have a lot of people around. All these really important people seem to be into it. And if we know anything about human culture and soci sociology, if a lot of people are doing it, a lot of people will just simply follow along. And not only that, there's also the threat of burning to death in a large furnace. So they all immediately bow down and they worship this, this, this image, um, this image of gold, except for uh, three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel doesn't seem to be uh, in Babylon at this time, so they're not sure about the timing of this passage. Daniel may have been visiting Jerusalem or something, but, but we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the Babylonian names for Daniel's three friends, and they refuse to bow. And so some of the astrologers see that, and they report it to the king. The king brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him, and he says, look, I'll give you one more chance. We'll play the music again. You can bow. And they say, well, actually, like, stop the band. You really don't need to cue it up. We're not going to, we're not going to bow. So either they're just wasting their time. We're not going to bow. And then they say, you know, because we serve the God of heaven and he's much higher than your 90 foot tall statue, right? Because he's in heaven. So it's, it's above all of these things. We serve him and he is able to deliver us from your hands if he chooses. And he says, even if he, then they say, even if he doesn't choose, we're still not going to bow you're gonna to have to throw us into the fire. Well, then they end up, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fire, right? The people who threw them into the fire actually died from, uh, from, from the, the heat, from, from the exposure to the heat. And yet the, the, the three uh, Hebrew uh, men, they fall into the fire, their, their, their ropes burn off, but nothing else in their entire body burns and they're walking around. And Nebuchadnezzar sees them through this, through this massive window into the furnace. And he says, hey, uh, didn't we throw three guys in there? There's, there's those three guys. Plus, it looks like there's another one. It looks like a son of the gods, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, meaning it looks like an angel. It looks like some kind of, uh, that, that, that one didn't look human. <laughs> and they're, they're walking in, uh, uh, in the fire, among the fire. And so he says, bring them out. And so he calls to them and they come walking out of the fire. They don't smell like smoke. Not, not even their hair is singed. And it's from that point on that Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, anybody who talks bad about the God of heaven uh, will be cut up into little pieces and his house will be burned down because truly no God can do what your God has done. That's the gist of the story. What I want to focus on, though, is this beginning part. This, this, this scene here, I think, uh, for me, just exemplifies a picture that we see play over and over and over and over again within our culture, and it's the battle for our worship. 
uh, our culture is fighting for your worship. And we see this uh, in the passage. They, the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar finds it important. I, I, I personally don't think Nebuchadnezzar cared much about the actual um, spiritual element of worshiping some kind of idol. He was thinking about the political benefit for himself if he can get everybody together worshiping something he has built. Everybody acknowledging how great he is. So it may not have been an actual picture of himself, but it is it is derived from his own ego, and he wants everybody to recognize his greatness. Come on, somebody. Uh, and this, is, this, is, this is the point of it all. This is, the, this is the point of the whole thing. To bring unity, to bring a kingdom together, it was, it was political. And so many times I feel like our culture is also asking us to bow before particular false gods for the sake of unity, <laughs> for the sake of political benefit, I'm not saying that they really care about spiritual things. I'm not saying that they're demonic or that they're or anything like that, or at least not overtly or knowingly. But oftentimes, I think it's just our culture trying to assert itself and its dominance over us. And they find it quite offensive when we, when we don't bow. But there's something uh, that, that Chris Hodges points out in, in his book, The Daniel Dilemma, uh, that, that I want to look at today. And if we can go back, I think it's in verse uh, 4, the herald shouts out loudly. And then in verse 5 it says, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and basically the band. As soon as the band starts to play. Now it's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar could together and said, okay, look how awesome the statue is. So when it, on the count of three, everybody bow down and worship. But instead he incorporates music into the mix because music is connected to worship. Now worship is more than a song. True worship is more than just music, but music is a part of worship. And so what I want to talk to you today about is the battle, really the battle uh, for our worship where the culture is propping up false gods and false idols and commanding us, challenging us to bow down to them. And one of the ways the enemy uses to coerce us into this is music. This is something that we talked about in prayer this week. Uh, Jason was saying that during fasting, let's call you out, he, during fasting he's giving up uh, listening to secular music. He's only been listening to Christian music during the, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> and that might be a good challenge for you. Now, I'm not saying secular music is, is evil and terrible or anything, but I am saying that oftentimes the enemy almost has background noise. We don't even really see it or perceive it, but there are hidden messages and there are open messages in secular music that, that draw us not to bow before God, but draw us to bow before several other gods. Perhaps the God of lust, or the God of sex, or the God of money, or the God of fame, or the God of greed, or the God of success, right? Or, 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 or the God of family, or the God of marriage, or these are all false little g-gods. They, they pull us away from the one true God. And so what happens is the enemy uses, I believe he uses music. And so if you find that it's hard for you to worship the one true God, if you find you keep getting drawn back to false idols, try cutting out the false idols music. Try, 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 try just stopping listening to it for a while and just listening, I don't know, to worship music. Just listening to worship, to music that draws you to the Father, that draws you to bow before Him. And I believe that music is a part of worship because music is used here. Music is used throughout um, Scripture, both um, for good and for evil. 
but but music is a part of worship, and I and and I believe that because well, <laughs> if you go to any if you go to any uh, college football game, they always have music. They always have it. And if you want to see real worship, just go to a college football game. You're going to see people clapping. You're going to see people shouting. You're going to see people jumping up. You're going to see hands raised. You're going to see laughter and exaltation and joy and shouts of, of, of praise and shouts of greatness with regard to one's particular team. And then there's also a band. And that band also plays on cue whenever good things happen or whenever things aren't going so well. Sometimes they'll try to cheer things up. Why? Because because music is a part of adoration. Music is a part of being a fan. Of course, if you do that stuff in church, they call you a fanatic. But I, I, I'm praying that City Chapel will become even louder than, than UT campus on Saturday. I'm praying City Chapel on Sunday becomes more praise-oriented, more worship-oriented. Like, like, this stuff's in the Bible. I'm not saying you have to go to UT to figure it out. You can actually read the Psalms, and then you're going to get into twirling, and you're going to get into uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, speaking in other languages, speaking in tongues, right? As all a part of worship, but music is a component of it. Music is, is throughout uh, the Psalms, obviously. It's throughout worship. Uh, and, it's, and, and, it, and it's also a part of, of, of our secular culture because Satan, remember, the, the, the god of this world, little g god of this world, who's trying to pull us away. Because it's really not culture that is trying to get us to worship a false idol. It's Satan who's using culture. And Satan used to be the worship leader of heaven. As much as we know, as we read scripture and we read about Satan, we see that Satan uh, was very involved uh, in music. And so actually I have a few scriptures for you. It's a little bit of study today. If you go to Ezekiel 28, this is in uh, uh, Ezekiel 28 verses 12 through 17. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. This is also, um, uh, Chris Hodges points this out in the Daniel Dilemma as well. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17. This is actually uh, written to the king of Babylon. But it's, ob it's obvious to me and to several other scholars that this is not actually talking just about the king of Babylon. Kind of like when Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Right? He wasn't saying that Peter was Satan. He was speaking to the spirit from which Peter was, was drawing from. Right? Peter, Peter was drawing his thinking and his desires and his value systems from a satanic spirit. And so Jesus called that out. Well, in the same way, God is calling out the spirit behind the king of Babylon. He says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. See, I, I really don't think the king of Babylon was in Eden. Uh, so that's how we know he's not just talking about, this is the spirit that's behind the king of, king of Babylon. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Timbrels would be little, little like cymbals, and um, pipes is a wood, or is a, is a, is a wind instrument. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. Now that, I think in the King James, guardian cherub means the, the cherub which covers. Remember on the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant, there was two cherubs that would cover. God said you need to have two cherubs that cover the, 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 the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And here God is speaking about Satan, that he was one of the cherubs, the guardian cherubs, or one of the cherubs that covered. He was very close 
to God within the holy place. He was, uh, he was one of the guardian cherubs. He was one of the, the leading angels. In fact, when Satan fell, Scripture says that a third of the angels in heaven went with him. So he had great influence over not just mankind, I mean, he's influencing people all the time, but back in the day, he had influence over angels. He convinced a third of the angels of heaven to follow him and his revolt and rebellion against God, to jump ship from heaven. Like he was cast down, but he convinced these guys to jump freely. That's amazing to me. This guy is really good. Chris Hodges, uh, in, in his book, he's, I've not really heard this before, but he says he believes that within heaven there were three main ruling angels. Uh, three main ruling angels which ruled over each a third of heaven. And I, and I think it's interesting, perhaps Lucifer ruled over the part of heaven that involved worship. He ruled over worship. And Gabriel he says, uh, he believes, rules over the word of God because Gabriel is often the messenger of God. So Gabriel appears to Mary, for instance, and says, you're going to bear a child. And, and he appears to a few different people throughout scripture, always bringing a word directly from God. And so we believe that, 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 that Gabriel is an archangel or a high-ranking angel that rules over perhaps a third of heaven. And then the third one would be Michael, who rules over the prayer. He's the prayer angel. Because Michael appears to Daniel later on in the book of Daniel in response to his prayer. And so oftentimes Michael is appearing to people in response to their, their prayers. And so it could be that you had three main ruling angels, Lucifer uh, over worship, uh, Gabriel over the word of God, and Michael over prayer. And these are all different ways in which God is glorified, in which God is exalted, in which God is lifted up. But a third of heaven jumped ship with Lucifer because he was the guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. In other words, you were so busy making connections with other people through your widespread trade, through your, through your many, 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 many conversations. See, this is, this, this is one danger, by the way, of all worshipers, is that they're created to, to call people to worship God. But if they're not careful, they can call people to worship themselves. <laughs> if they get corrupted, then all those many, many conversations, which were supposed to be happening, all that influence, which was supposed to be there, which God intended to be there. That influence, instead of being directed upward toward God, can be directed inward toward myself. And basically, Satan became inverted. He, he, he stopped pointing other angels to God. He stopped calling them to worship God, and he started calling them to worship him. He desired to be like God. And so it says here that you were, you were corrupted from all of, all of your many widespread trade and you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom. I love this. You corrupted your wisdom. There is a wisdom of this world, but it is a corrupted wisdom. It's very smart, but it's twisted. It's very intelligent, but it's 
corrupt. He says, you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And this is what corrupts wisdom, a focus on self. This is what corrupts wisdom, a focus on me and my splendor and what I'm capable of and my capabilities, a self-reliance, a self-dependence. See, Nebuchadnezzar, he's asking people to bow down and worship this statue, but it's not about the statue at all. It's about Nebuchadnezzar. He wants to be seen. He wants to be made much of. He wants to be known. And before we throw stones at old Nebi, <laughs> might want to look in the mirror. Because if you've been paying attention to culture very long, if you've been listening to cultural music very long, the focus is on me. The focus is on people liking me. The focus is on people valuing me. The focus is on people understanding what I bring to the table, my splendor, my glory, that our wisdom becomes corrupted by our splendor. So I threw you, he says, to earth. Jesus said it in, 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 in another way in the Gospels. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Uh, that's pretty fast. That's a fast fall. I saw him fall like lightning. I threw you to earth and made a spectacle of you uh, before the kings. If we can go on to Isaiah, Isaiah 14 also tells us in verse 11, I think this is interesting. Uh, God in, in, in Ezekiel, God already said that he, he was that, that he had, what, what do you say, timbrels and pipes. So that's uh, timbrels would be percussion and pipes would be a wind, a wind instrument. Now in verse 11 of Isaiah, he says, all of your pomp has been brought down to the grave. This is actually written to the king of Tyre or Tyree, however you pronounce it. Um, but it's obviously uh, speaking about Satan as well. This is the spirit behind the king of Tyre. He says, all of your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. So that's the stringed instruments. So we have three main instruments that Satan seems to employ, percussion, uh, uh, wind instruments, and harps. And then throughout scripture, he's, he's listed as having several other instruments as well, but those are the main ones. He says, all of the noise of your harps, maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. This is what Satan was saying in his heart. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Listen, listen to his statements. I will. <laughs> I will raise. I will ascend. I will raise. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is, this is the, the strategies of, of Lucifer. And we see this permeating our culture. There's five I will statements here, and they're all about I will ascend, I will make myself better, I will make, I will do, I will rise, I will uh, shine. If they're throwing shade at you just because they're trying to stop your shine. Uh, don't let anybody stop your shine. Come on, somebody. Uh, and and this, is, this is our culture, is make sure that you pick yourself up, that you do something with your life, that you raise yourself up, that you better yourself. <laughs> and it's not just in our culture. I mean, my goodness, it's also in the church because if there's one great way to benefit yourself is to get Jesus on your team. Boy, he will help you win, let me tell you. Uh, you want your marriage to work right? Get Jesus on your team. He'll make your marriage work right. You want your finances to work right? Get Jesus on your team. He'll make your finances. In fact, Jesus is all about you. <laughs> got to be careful about the mindset that basically takes Luciferian thinking and applies it to the gospel. 
If, if you really think that, 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 that you can snap your fingers and call Jesus when you need him to come fix your marriage after you've been selfish for 15 years. <laughs> if you really think that Jesus is your band-aid and he's going to come in and swoop in and fix everything and make your, life, your wife love you again, that may not happen. Because that's not what Jesus is for. He's not the genie in the bottle. He's not for you to leave him on the shelf all of your life until you think that you need him. Disregard his commands. Disregard his word. Disregard his warnings. Dis dis disregard his book. And throw it all aside. Leave it. Let it collect dust in your shelf until you get into trouble. Then grab him and say, okay, could you please fix all of this? That's not who he is. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is. And so if you're ready to come into his kingdom, when your life is falling apart, by all means, come on in. But your marriage may be done. But your kids might never talk to you again. But there are natural consequences to the way that you've been living. And if you come walk with God, then he'll teach you how to live differently and you'll have much better, better, better consequences down the road. Anybody experienced that in their life? Anybody? All right, so we've experienced some turnaround before, okay? But it's not magic, and it's not in an instant. God's not going to rush in and cut you a stimulus check. Like, that's not how he works. That's not how he rolls. He, instead, he teaches us to walk with him so that we become like him. And so it's a process of discipleship. But, but, but for Lucifer, he says, I will make myself better. I will rise into this this new sphere and so if lucifer was satan's or if satan was god's uh worship leader and he was in charge of worship when he was cast down to heaven who 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 took his place us we did that's one of the reasons satan hates you so much you took his job Satan was cast down. He was the, the lead worship. He had all of these instruments at his disposal that he was created with, that he was given when he was created. He had all these instruments and, 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 and he used them for his own glory. And so God cast him down from heaven. And then he raised up mankind. And we see very early on, I mean, right out of the garden, as soon as man gets out of the garden, we see worship beginning to happen. We have no record of God giving any kind of instruction regarding worship, and yet Cain and Abel both come before God. The first two children of, of Adam and Eve come before God to worship. And so it's almost like, I don't know if there was special instruction, I don't know, if the, I don't know what went down, but somehow they said, wait a minute, we were made to worship. And we, all of us, were made to worship. We were made to replace Lucifer ruling, this is why scripture says we will rule and reign with him, ruling not so that we're in charge and that we have power, but so that we direct people to worship God. This is our main calling in life, is to direct people to worship God, is to bring people who are worshiping false gods and false idols and invite them and introduce them to the God of heaven and invite them to worship him. We see this in uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They stand before Nebuchadnezzar, who's not interested in God at all. And they say, no, the God of heaven is really God. And he's like, yeah, I don't believe you. And then he, they get thrown into the fire. And by the time they come out of their test, their, their trial, Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, 
Now I believe you, right? Now I am ready to exalt and worship the one and true God. Why? Because that's what we are. We are worship leaders. You might not be able to sing, but you also have three instruments. You have wind, your voice, you have strings, your vocal cords, and you got percussion, your hands and your feet. All right, so clapping and stomping kind of stuff. Like you, 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 you were created, built in with all the same stuff that Lucifer was. And you were created, first of all, to worship God. First of all, to use those hands, that voice, those vocal cords, to exalt him and lift him up. And culture is fighting to steal your voice. In other words, to get you saying things that do not lift up God, but rather exalt false gods. So even, it just, just, just in little ways, and I, I don't really like to pick, like nit, nitpick stuff because I'm more kind of laid back, but uh, God, God called me out on this actually during, uh, over Christmas. I, I came down with COVID on Christmas Eve, and um, I, was, I was laying there. I had a fever for like, like 30 hours or something. That was probably the toughest thing was the headache and the fever that lasted just a, a day and a half right about. And uh, I'm laying there. And by the way, like Christmas Eve service, Ro was outside our bedroom. I was quarantining. She was in the hallway Zooming with you all, I guess, those of you that were here on Christmas Eve. And she said I was feeling better because I started eating ice cream. Um, just so you all know, that's not necessarily true, okay? I, like in Ro's mind, if someone's asking for ice cream, that means they're feeling better, Right. But in my, like, that's just, that's my daily, this is my daily bread. Like, that's my daily, that's just what I, like, I just want, like, you know, I was, so, so to be totally honest with you, I was laying in bed. Like, I even told her after, I'm like, babe, that doesn't really mean that everything's great. But for future reference, because I could be dying and I'd ask for ice cream, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, it just, you know, so that doesn't mean, you know, stop the funeral. Like, it just, it just, just keep going with your plans. But I, I, I told her, I said, babe, seriously, like, I was, I was, I was, I was laying in bed and, and I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, I haven't written a will. I have COVID and I haven't written a will. What am I thinking? And so we've been talking about writing a will, a living will, you know, for quite a while. And we just haven't gotten around to it. And Moreau and I even like did a verbal will. We said, where are the kids going to go? Like, who's going to like, how are we, what kind of trust fund are we going to put this in? And we like, we talked it all through. We just didn't write it down. And Ro had told me, so I'm laying there in bed, right? And I'm like, oh man, I haven't written a will. Like this could be the end. And I'm like, and, uh, and, 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 and Ro had told me like a few days before that, well, that she had read like in Texas, if you write it out, even just handwrite it, sign it and put it on your refrigerator, it still sort of counts, I guess. It's better than nothing. So I'm laying there. I'm like, I should really, I should really put this on the refrigerator. I'm like, refrigerator. I'm like, I have a half a pint of uneaten Ben and Jerry's in the freezer. I can't go to heaven without finishing that. Like, you gotta, that would be irresponsible of me. I would like, I would feel wrong if I went. So that's when I texted her, oh, could you bring up the Ben and Jerry's? I would finish this thing off. If I'm going, I'm going with a good taste in my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, this is going to be good. And so that, that's as far, I'm like, well, I'll get to the will later. I'll have the ice cream now. That's as far as we got. Then I started feeling better. I'm like, I guess I really don't need to do a will. I'll procrastinate a little bit longer. So I'm still working on that. All right. But anyway, uh, I, I was laying there in COVID uh, like uh, the, the second day and I was just praying for my family. I was, I was praying, Lord, you know, if you could protect them keep them from getting it, keep them safe. That, that, that was my prayer. And uh, the Lord just stopped me. And uh, I said, Lord, if you could keep them safe. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you don't feel safe? And I'm like, well, well, he's like, because you have COVID, right? 
I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I do. But, you know, I'm just, like, that's just what we say, Lord. That's what we say down here. We mean don't catch COVID, but what we say is, like, keep them safe. And he's like, why would you not be safe if you had COVID? He said, do you feel safe? And I'm laying there, and I'm like, yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel safe. Like, I, I feel safe in, in your arms. I feel safe in your uh, sovereignty. I feel safe in your will. I feel like if it's my time to go, that you've got a really good reason for that, and you're going to work this whole thing out. I should probably write the will, though, but I, got, I finished the ice cream, <laughs> and I'm feeling safe. I feel good. I like, yeah. And, 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 and this is where God challenged me. He said, why, why are you adopting the language of the world to describe something with regard to that I have promised you, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. That you are safe. So stop pretending like you're not. Stop saying that perhaps your kids are not safe. They are safe. Like 100% safe. Nothing can touch them. There's a hedge. Remember last week? There's a hedge. <laughs> there's a bush, all right? There's, a, there's, there's, there's some shrubbery around them that Satan can't get to unless God lets him. So therefore, anything that happens to me is something that God has said, sure, my loving Heavenly Father has allowed, therefore, I can rest in safety. And so I changed my prayer. I said, well, Lord, it would be really nice if they didn't catch COVID. That would be cool. He said, why? And I said, well, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen 30 years from now. I don't know what kind of repercussions are going to happen. Plus, you know, they might not taste ice cream again. That might be weird, you know. He's like, they're going to be okay. <laughs> he said, Harry, what? how would you pray about more? more just, just give, could, could you be more serious? You're talking to me, right? Could you maybe be more serious? Because it, it's like you're talking about, you're praying about temporal things that are going to go away in two weeks. Could you ask me something a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, a little, little more, something with a longer reach, longer impact? So I began asking God for other things for my kids, for character, for wisdom, for callings, for faith, for love, for hope to raise up inside of them. Because the problem is, it's like you can get COVID and be completely safe, but you can not get COVID and not be safe at all. Because the safest place is in the sovereignty of God. The safest place is in the will of God. The safest place. And I'm saying that, and, and see, like, so, like, those boys, the, the, three Hebrew, the three Hebrew boys, they were worshiping. They were using their voice to worship. They weren't singing, and they weren't playing instruments. They weren't, probably weren't clapping when they threw them in the furnace. But they were worshiping when they were exalting God. They said, look, our God is able to deliver us from your hand. And even if, he, if he, even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down. They were worshiping. They were exalting God with their voice. They weren't exalting the statue. See, because this is, this is, this is, there, 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 there's several gods, major gods in the Old Testament that, that, that dominated various cultures. And Nebuchadnezzar is pulling on all three of those, in case you didn't know that. First of all, there was the god Baal. Right, he dominated several cultures. And then, and then there was the god Asherah. She dominated several cultures. Right, and then the, there was uh, the other guy, the god of, of power, no, the god of gold, Mammon. So you had Mammon, the god of gold, uh, money, wealth, retirement, 
big houses. So you had that God represented by this image, 90 feet tall gold. Wow, look at his wealth. Man, if we had, imagine the stability we would have if we had, if we were bought into this culture, if we were under that king. Oh my goodness. So he's displaying mammon, the God of wealth. And then he's also displaying Baal, the God of power, the God of influence, the God of might. Because look, I got all these governors and satraps and all these people to follow me. Look at my fame. Look at, look at how important I must be. They all think I'm something. And so he's exalting the God of Baal. He's using the God of Baal's tactics to draw people in. And then Asherah was the, the God of sex, the God of feel good, the God of what feels good in the moment. That's what you should do, the God of pleasure, right? And that's where the music comes in because he's going to make it feel good for you to worship him. He's not going to ask you to do it awkwardly. He's going to make it, he's going to get the beat right. He's going to get the crescendo just right. The, the, the emotions are going to be played perfectly so that you will want to bow down. And that's, in, and those are the three major dynamics. And those are the three major dynamics in our world today. The three major dynamics are, are wealth, the pursuit of wealth, uh, power, the pursuit of power, and pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. And these things call to us and draw us. And yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no to all of those things. They weren't impressed with the power. They weren't pursuing or wanting to be attached to the wealth. And they weren't driven by pleasure or what felt right in the moment. So while everybody was jiving, they were just standing. <laughs> while everybody had their feet tapping, they were just standing. And so what happens is because they weren't being pulled in by these false gods. And their worship was just to stand and then to declare the greatness of God. And so I believe that's what God wants all of us to do. Throughout 2022, God wants us to be worship leaders. And maybe that's singing in church or elsewhere in your car. Uh, maybe that's clapping. Hopefully that's clapping in church. Hopefully that's stomping. Hopefully that's getting some, some, some good rowdy praise on. But hopefully it's also conversations at work. Hopefully it's also conversations within the home. Hopefully it's also husbands and wives coming together and talking about how great God is. Instead of always talking about what they wish the other one was doing. Hopefully it's talking about how, what God has done. Hopefully it's, it's telling our kids about the greatness of God in our past. My parents uh, were first generation Christians. They got saved just before I was born and they did they did an amazing job to introduce scripture to me, to introduce preachers and pastors to me. They had, they had evangelists come live at our house occasionally and share with us, right? And they, like, like they, they, they did the best that they could, but they honestly, they didn't have a lot of stories from when they grew up about where God was. And uh, I think they just didn't really dig into it that deeply and they felt like they didn't serve God and so they didn't really have a version of that. And so I grew up not hearing many stories about uh, my parents growing up. But I want to encourage you, even if you weren't saved as, as a 10-year-old, 17-year-old, 25-year-old, God was still there. And you can still share with your kids where he was. Even if you're not proud of what you were doing, you can still share with your kids that very fact that you're not proud of what you were doing. This is what I did and this is what it cost me. Like your testimony, your, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and because they didn't love their lives. So they, they rejected false gods, false ideologies. They didn't think about themselves. And instead, they testified to the greatness of God. Sound good? All right. So 
one thing that, that actually one practical way to put this into work, into practice, is by texting. So during prayer, just Friday night, God laid on somebody's heart to text somebody. And it was just a word of encouragement. They had, they had lost a loved one recently, and so just felt like they should test. And, and, and when you text people, don't just say, oh, I'm sorry. Remind them about who God is. Tell them God loves them. God is faithful to them. God will be there for them if they pray, if they call out to him. God is waiting for them. And you don't have to say that so-and-so went to heaven either because you, you probably don't know. I, most of the time, don't know. I don't know. I'll leave that up to God. We'll let God decide who went to heaven, who went, who went. I, I, we'll let him figure that one out. But I know who God is. I don't know who your loved one was, but I know who God is. God is faithful. God is kind. God is loving. God is just. God will repay. God is the final. God is my judge. And he's your judge. And we're all going to stand before him. And, and I, and I got to end with the judge. Because <laughs> his son is my brother. And I've been adopted into the family of God. And so I don't approach him with fear. I approach him with faith and confidence. So let's just spend a moment just right now to respond. I want to give you a chance to respond in prayer. If you're here today and if you don't have that confidence, I want to give you a chance to uh, reach out to him. Because it's really that you, there's not, you don't have to join a church or get a card. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Travis, thanks. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to figure out all of that. You don't have to have perfect theology. You don't have to memorize the, the creed over here on the wall. But it would be good if you want to memorize it. Check it out. It's good stuff. It's a good reminder. But the truth is, to, to start this relationship with God, to, to have confidence with God, you merely have to call out to Him. You have to renounce your sin. Sin is going your own way. Sin is what Satan said, I will. That's basically sin. Most of the time, when your life revolves around I will, all those decisions, that's sin. I will make my own standard. I will do what feels right with, to me. That's sin. Sin is not submitting to God. It's not recognizing that God is highest. It's not putting Him first. And being saved is so much more than just slotting Him in somewhere. <laughs> Dear American, it's so much more than just slotting God in to the mix. No, no, no. Being saved from your sin means rejecting the idol image and saying, I'm not going to bow to that. I'm not going to bow to that in my life. I'm not going to bow to that in my work. I'm not going to bow to that in the way that I, in, in, in my honesty to the government when I fill out my taxes, right? I'm not going to bow to this pursuit of money at the expense of my integrity. I'm not going to bow to this pursuit of fame at the expense of my integrity. I'm not going to bow to this pursuit of pleasure at the expense of my integrity. God has called me to live in a certain way and I'm going to live in that way even if it means I lose pleasure even if it means I lose wealth even if it means I lose influence this is the first way it seems almost counterintuitive so many people it's like oh if you want to influence culture you got to bow with them you got to act like them you got to join the band actually and yet these boys they influence culture by standing on in their faith because somebody said, wow, you guys are different. Why, why are you doing that? And then they got to use 
their instruments of worship, their voice, their stringed instruments, to say, our God is above this idol. Our God is above Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, our God is so awesome that he can, he can, he can allow us to be thrown in the fire and save us in the fire. He doesn't even have to save us from the fire. He can save us in the fire. <laughs> and then God shows up and does exactly what they knew he could do. But it starts because they knew who their God was. And so if you, if you want to invite Jesus, that's the name of our God. The Son of God came and was the, the perfect image of the eternal God. If you want to invite him into your heart and into your life, and if you want to submit to him, January is a great time to do it. <laughs> As we approach the rest of the year, let's do it. If you want to pray with me, would you just raise your hand and say, I'm making that decision. I'm making that commitment today. It's a, it's a visual sign. Yeah, that's good. This doesn't save you or anything, but a visual sign stepping out and saying, that's me, I need God. Amen. If that's you, would you just pray right now in your own words? I would say something like, God, I need you. Forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for making me the center, for making my choices, my decisions, living according to my standards. Confess that today. I confess my sins to you. I need you. I need you to, as it says in 1 John 1 9, to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I choose to worship only you. And I understand, guys, I understand that's a process. So here's, here's the next level of the prayer. Just say, God, teach me how to reject these idols. Teach me how to worship you. Teach me through your word. Teach me through your Holy Spirit speaking to me. When you go to do something, or maybe after you do something, you feel a little funny or a little off about it. That's the whole, probably the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, shouldn't have done that not, he's not condemning you he's just saying next time don't choose that so Lord I, I commit to be sensitive to the spirit of God in my life I commit to be sensitive to if I feel if I feel that in my heart I will respond to it if I feel you challenging me I will submit to it feel you calling me maybe to share with somebody else about your greatness about who you are I will even if I'm afraid I'll be faithful to do that thank you Lord thank you for your your love for us thank you for pursuing us you deserve all of our worship you deserve all of our praise you deserve all of our fingers all of our toes all the percussion we can create you deserve all of our vocal cords and all of our voices praising you and lifting you up we glorify you today father because you're perfect in all your ways you're good and your mercy endures forever
Well, if you guys want to continue, we're going to be praying tomorrow night, right here. Prayer meeting, 6 o'clock. Tuesday night, prayer meeting, 6 o'clock. Wednesday night, special prayer meeting with worship. And uh, you're going to be here, right? Travis will be here. Pastor Rock will be here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We actually have child care on Wednesday night for you. Um, Or you can keep your kids in here and have them worship with us. That's cool, too. But uh, special prayer focus night on Wednesday night. Thursday night, prayer meeting, 6 o'clock. Friday night, prayer meeting, 6 o'clock. You get the idea, right? All week, we got prayer meetings at the church. And, uh, man, if you want to change the the background noise, if you want to get rid of some of the world's soundtrack, spend an hour in prayer with us, 6 o'clock. I guarantee it will help you. Thank you for joining us from home. We love you. You're dismissed. See you later.